Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Hello, 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 and welcome to this new show called Cybersecurity TLDR. This is a new show that we're doing. This is going to be taking events and news and topics and basically shrinking it down into a too long, didn't read kind of version. Now, this is on YouTube. You can also find it on major podcasting platforms. So things like iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, all those kind of platforms. In today's show, we're going to actually do a recap of the news from 320, so March 20, 2022, all the way up through 326, March 26, 2022. So one of the things that happened a lot in the news, if you haven't been following what's going on, is there is this Ukraine-Russian conflict, right? This whole war and invasion where Russia has decided to invade into Ukraine and they are neighboring countries, so it's very close for all of them, and they're battling on their home ground. And so I'm personally in the United States, and what we've seen a lot about in the news with cybersecurity specifically is related to kind of spillover from these conflicts. So that was a major theme in the news for the past week. So we started out on the 21st, and we had actually CISA and the FBI, which are two organizations here in the United States, and talking about satellite communication network owners, that they need to watch out for some of these Ukrainian attacks. And again, they're worried about that spillover from this conflict. And one of the key things that they actually wanted to happen is they want companies to lower their threshold for reporting and sharing indications of malicious cyber activity. So if they see something on their network, they want that threshold to be lower because they want to know more about what's going on because maybe that's going to spill over into something larger, right? And something else that actually happened prior to the invasion, just a few hours before, was Via Satellite, which is a aerospace satellite communications company. Uh, they have this satellite called KASAT. And what happened was uh, they, they started to see a lot of issues with communications. So, you know, it's, it's again, it's looking at those satellites and kind of the activity and what Russia is exactly trying to do. And so when that happened, lawmakers here in the U.S. actually want to make uh, space a critical infrastructure sector. Now, with that, that actually increases a lot as far as the requirements on cybersecurity because anytime you deal with any of these critical infrastructures, they become a lot more important, right? So we have to put in a lot more security controls. Now, if you've ever looked at the risk management framework from NIST or any kind of extensive framework for cybersecurity, you know there's a potential for a lot of controls that can go into place. Now, the White House also warned that, uh, you know, just in general, Russia might be getting ready for cyber attacks. And the White House, along those lines, even though they, you know, are looking at this closely, they also provided some recommendations of things that you should be doing. Now, 
when you see this list, it's really very common things, right? So multi-factor authentication, applying software patches, encrypting data. These are all things that you should be doing and that should be part of your normal cybersecurity hygiene. But like a lot of things with cybersecurity, sometimes it takes a reminder to actually understand that. Now, along the lines of software and kind of self-sabotaging, if you will, there was another huge article that was very important, and it was around an NPM module. So it's kind of like an open source module, part of the NPM repository, and it's called Node IPC. And basically what happened is the developers of this JavaScript component, they decided to put in some additional code that would unexpectedly add or remove files from a system. So think about that. If a developer's self-sabotaging their own software to do certain things like that, that's kind of concerning. And so they're actually calling this kind of malware or you know, steps towards self-sabotaging your own software as protestware because this is directly related to this Ukraine and Russia conflict. So when you're bringing in software into your organization, what are some of the supply chain things that you do? Do you look at what controls and security measures that developer has in place? What about the dependencies for that software, especially with things like open software, open source software? You know, what dependencies are associated or needed with that software? Are you looking at those vendors or those developers? It's, it's really an interesting question because we don't expect developers to actually self-sabotage their own software. And that's, that's kind of scary, especially if you're going to reuse some of this code in a lot of different areas. Now, Conti ransomware, if you're not familiar with that, this is another interesting thing that happened. So a Ukrainian security researcher, they actually leaked the source code of Conti ransomware because the developers cited with Russia on the Russian invasion. Think about that for a second. This is, this is getting interesting because these things I think are going to keep happening. And what's interesting with Conti is that this was actually last updated in 2021, the version that they released, so version 3. And Conti is one of the most active cybercrime operations that you know is out there. So it's pretty interesting, especially just the timing of, okay, let's just go ahead and release this. Now, Russia also found Meta, which is Facebook's parent company, guilty of extremist activity. But they didn't mention anything about WhatsApp, which is an app that is owned by them as well. But think about that. Now Russia is starting to take steps towards kind of going against everybody else. And especially with a company like Meta and Facebook, you know, they're really trying to lock down their country. And one of the things that kind of comes to mind is just kind of censorship, right? Like you're trying to keep information uh, that is potentially accurate, right? Because we know that some of the information that gets out there is not accurate, but you're really taking extreme steps towards a company that is built on communities, built on social interaction and sharing this information. Again, you know, continued hacks, right? On the 23rd, Anonymous hacked Nestle 
and they leaked 10 gigabytes of sensitive information. Now, again, this is against companies that are continuing to operate in Russia and pay taxes towards the Russian government, which is going to ultimately support their efforts. And Anonymous gave a warning window of 48 hours to other companies to stop them from cooperating with Russia. Now, again, this whole blackmail kind of situation, it's, it's interesting because it brings up an interesting debate. You know, as a company, if you're subject to something like this, how do you respond? What level of risk or chance are you willing to take if a company is trying to extort you or blackmail you or do any of these kind of things? You know, what, what are you willing to accept as part of that? So, and the attacks, they just, they're going to keep going, I think. Um, you know, as far as Israel, they blocked Ukraine from getting this software called Pegasus Spyware. And again, because they're kind of interlocked in this whole relationship with Russia and that part of the world. So it is, it's just creating this really interesting dynamic in these different areas. Something else that we saw was that Russia is starting to have their access blocked to weather data. And that's pretty interesting because think about this, right? So one of the key fears with Russia and why this is happening is because there's a fear that they're going to use biological or chemical weapons. So those rely a lot on the, the weather the wind, all this stuff, right? Because if you launch a chemical warfare weapon, okay, so a chemical weapon, it's just like if you sprayed something into the air. You don't want it to shoot back right in your face, right? That would not be good. And so if Russia has this information, they can predict and they can, you know, make educated decisions on how they're going to do this if they were going to do this. And so by blocking their ability to get that information, you're effectively limiting what they can do. And one other major thing was uh, Mustang Panda, which is a hacking group that is in China. And uh, they are starting to uh, deploy decoy executables that actually install remote access Trojans. So they're naming them, you know, interesting things around Russia or Ukraine war and things that would make you want to click them or, you know, install them, look at them. And it's just another attempt to kind of, you know, take advantage or piggyback on the things that are already going on. And this one in particular, you really have to educate your users. You can't just rely on a lot of the tools because things like this, you know, imagine if an executable got through and it's named... Ukraine war uh, victims help them out or something, right? Uh, users are probably going to be a little bit more prone to actually clicking on that executable. So user education is really important in these scenarios. Now, another major topic was lapsus attacks. So lapsus, they did a ransomware attack on Okta. And if you're not familiar with Okta, Okta is 
an organization that is really focused on authentication and just that whole SSO single sign-on process, right? And so a lot of companies use them. So any kind of issue with that authentication process or their products is going to be a big deal because so many companies just, you know, they use Okta. And uh, let's see here. So lacking uh, lapses hacking groups claim to have had access to Okta's network since January of this year, so of 2022, and that they were spreading file encrypting malware to steal critical data as proof. And this was released from a, an engineer, a security engineer that works at Zoom, and uh, details were on Telegram because that's how Lapsus you know, gets their information out there. They distribute it to their user base. And again, Okta is used by companies like Peloton, Cloudflare, Grubhub, T-Mobile, FCC, Sonos, just a lot of companies that you're going to know about. They also claim to have the source code to Bing, Cortana, and some other projects and 37 gigabytes of source code from other companies. Now, this was as of the 23rd of March, okay? Now, on the 23rd of March, Okta came out and they actually confirmed that 366 customers were impacted via the breach. But they said the access was highly constrained and that customers don't need to take corrective actions. Okta said the super user account that attackers had access to didn't provide godlike access and the application was built with least privilege. Now, this is interesting, right? Because, of course, you should always build your applications with least privilege. But sometimes how much can you trust what a company is releasing, right? Sometimes they don't know. Sometimes they do know the full extent. And, you know, sometimes they're just kind of skating around the issue. And so it, it definitely is concerning because, again, a lot of companies use Okta and 366 customers, that's a lot. Now, on the 23rd, we also had Lapsus hackers leak 37 gigabytes of Microsoft's alleged source code. So on Monday night, Lapsus posted a 9 gigabyte zipped archive with source code for over, uh, sorry, not 37 gigabytes, but uh, nine gigabytes of over 250 projects that they say belong to Microsoft. And the dump contained emails and other documentation that appears to be internal communication or documents used by Microsoft engineers. Now, on the 24th, Microsoft confirmed that Lapsus hackers did steal source code via limited access. So are you getting kind of the idea here? Limited access, least privilege, uh, these very selective and targeted verbiage and words because words do matter. So uh, Lapsus, a hacking group that recently claimed to have hacked other large names, recently made a claim that they hacked Microsoft uh, containing data for Bing, Cortana, and other projects. On Tuesday evening, Microsoft confirmed So again, this article came out uh, on the 24th, but uh, Microsoft confirmed that a group called Dev0537 compromised a single account and stole parts of source codes, source code from other project, from some products. Now, Microsoft states 
that just because you have access to the source code doesn't mean that that's automatically going to introduce additional risk. They build their applications and source code in a way that doesn't directly rely on just being a secret to be more secure. So in general, that's obviously really good um, because you know you don't want to rely on security through obscurity, but it's obviously another major player here. And then the UK police on the 25th, they arrested seven people in connection with these hacks. So you can kind of see the timeline of how fast this actually happened. Police in the UK arrested seven people between the ages of 16 to 21 with suspected connections to the Lapsus hacking group. Rival hackers revealed the personal information of leading 16-year-old hacker that goes by White or Breach Base, and that led to him being tracked down. Now, I definitely would read up on how they found that information, but basically there was a connection with him owning a previous website and some debate and you know kind of kind of arguments or disagreements between them and how that ended up being. But think about this. People 16 to 21 years old are associated to these major breaches. From a non um, you know just looking at this from the outside just at those ages alone at what these people, these kids are capable of, that is quite extraordinary, right? And that just shows, you know, that there is a lot of talent out there, but you have people that are fairly young and that kind of have no regard for a lot of this stuff that are just going after these major companies and actually being successful. That's probably the scarier part. So you don't need a degree. Apparently you can be 16 and, you know, get into Microsoft's treasure trove of source code. Other notable attacks and TTPs that existed. So uh, there's a new browser in the browser attack, and this is pretty cool just from a, an interesting standpoint for cybersecurity. So instead of doing all of this other stuff, right, instead of taking over servers and uh, forging certificates and doing all this stuff, this attack actually just makes it look like there's a browser window inside of your browser window. So it makes it look like, like a pop-up window, right? And you have the browser bar, the URL bar, and the, uh, the certificate icon for secure communication and, you know, all this stuff, right? And you're kind of just using simple HTML and uh, images, and that's going to trick a lot of your users. So that's very scary and it's not as preventable as, say, you know, using some of these tools like certificates. And it's, it's pretty unique and it's pretty crafty as far as an attack goes. So there's also a unique attack chain that drops a, ba drops a backdoor in new phishing campaigns. So... This new campaign, it sets up a backdoor. It involves a Word document, and it contains a message saying it's GDPR or European Union's General Data Protection Regulation. It's related to that. And so what happens is once the macro executes, it reaches out to an image URL, downloads a PowerShell script, 
hidden with steganography inside of an image of a cartoon called Swiper. The PowerShell script downloads and installs Chocolatey, which is a software installer on Windows. And then the PowerShell uses Chocolatey to install Python and a Python package installer. And then that Python installer downloads other components like PySox to create a proxy server. And then finally, that PowerShell script downloads a backdoor that's being called Serpent. And then the victim is just waiting there for commands from the server. So the, the victim system. Now, macros have been an issue for a long time, and this is no different, but this does use quite a few steps to grab a lot of these dependencies. So it's almost like they were trying to stretch out the process instead of making all this happen and ramp up the resources all at once. So that's definitely a pretty interesting attack. Uh, hackers are also stealing malware or stealing from hackers by putting out fake malware on forums. So if you've ever gone on the dark web, if you've ever looked at this stuff, attacker goes to a website and it's an experienced person. Let's say it's a 15-year-old because apparently 16-year-olds are pretty sophisticated now. But they go onto a website on the dark web and they look for some malware. Well, these hackers were advanced, you know, to what extent, don't know. But they're putting malware into these kind of legitimate malware packages. And so then the person gets it, the 15-year-old hacker gets it, and then they're actually getting compromised in the process. So again, it's um, I don't know if it's a good time to be getting into the dark web because your own kind of people are going after you. So that's not good either. But pretty interesting from a psychological standpoint. Deadbolt ransomware resurfaces to hit QNAP again. So on the 24th, something called Deadbolt, a ransomware variant, is popping back up. QNAP had released some software updates, which were supposed to fix this actually back in January, and it's starting to resurface. So it's not really clear as far as, you know, are these unpatched systems? Is this a new version? Because they did release an update for that previous version. Uh, attackers are asking for 0.03 Bitcoin, which translates to about $1,223. So that's, you know, definitely not pennies, right? And uh, the ransomware only targets specific backup directories for encryption and vandalizes the web administration interface saying how to remove the infection. North Korean hackers are exploiting Chrome zero day weeks before a patch. So North Korean state hackers, they're going after Chrome. And this is part of the uh, Lazarus group, Lazarus group. And this is a CVE 2022-0609. And the hacker group is basically luring uh, victims with fake job offers from prominent defense and aerospace companies in the U.S., Cyber careers and education. So uh, Microsoft is trying to help address the 3.5 million cybersecurity jobs that are vacant, and they are basically uh, uh, expanding their skills initiative to 23 additional countries. So countries like Australia, Brazil, Canada, and India, due to their elevated cyber threat risk. Uh, companies where Microsoft 
countries where Microsoft is expanding to also have a 17% female workforce in cybersecurity. So we do need to get that mix up. We need to have more of a variety of people in general that are in cybersecurity. And so that's a positive thing. Kate uh, Benecken, not sure if I said that right, but vice president and lead of Microsoft Philanthropies says that by 2025, there's going to be 3.5 million jobs that are going to be open in cybersecurity globally. So that number always gets changed and modified, and it's obviously speculation and a prediction, an estimate of how many jobs are going to be open. But there are a lot of jobs that are going to be open. It's just how it is. It's growing. Cybersecurity is a great field to get into. A pandemic also leaves firms scrambling for cybersecurity specialists. So there was a report report by ISACA surveying more than 2,000 cybersecurity professionals 60% of companies had problems retaining people due to remote work, time for education, poor incentives, limited promotion opportunities, and high stress. These are all factors that contribute to cybersecurity and kind of that, that, you know, influx of people leaving their companies, especially the remote workforce part. Now, this is really interesting because before the pandemic, I'm going to be honest here, if you're new to the industry, Remote work and cybersecurity especially was not as much of a thing as it is now. That is a fact. A lot of your security operations jobs and just operational jobs in general were on site. So that is food for thought. We'll kind of see how things pan out as things are evolving and kind of as we're getting back to normal or what the new normal is going to be. But, um, yeah, if you're new to the industry, I'm sorry, remote work was not as much of a thing in cybersecurity especially, but it might be now. There might be enough push for that. Uh, Other cybersecurity news. So a cloud-based email threat surged 50% in 2021. So what are you doing to secure your home workers, right? The home workers and these remote workforces, they're at their, their houses, they're at their coffee shops, whatever, and they are more susceptible to these email threats. We have to take that into account with the controls and security measures that we're putting in place. FTC accuses Cafe uh, Cafe Press of data breach cover-up. Why are companies trying to cover up so much of these attacks for just pure negligence? This says examples of social security numbers were being stored in plain text. In plain text and not adequately adequately protecting encrypted user passwords. Come on, people. If you if you're going to collect any kind of sensitive data, social security numbers, healthcare information, credit card numbers, if you're going to collect and store that information, give me a break. You have to protect that. And then you're going to go and cover it up too. One thing with covering things up that you know, you'll find out in your career if you don't already know, if you're newer to the industry, is that covering up things is usually way worse than just being upfront about it and trying to correct the issues, especially in cybersecurity. You know, we're not going to be perfect. That's just how it is. And if you try to cover up this stuff, it's going to come back and bite you so much worse than if you were just upfront about it. Uh, Telegram's ban in Brazil has been lifted. 
<laughs> this one's pretty funny. Te- Telegram said they would have acted sooner on things that they had to do. So removing classified information by uh, that was shared by Brazilian president and deleting some accounts. But they they would have acted faster if they were checking the right email box. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> that's just uh, you know. Uh, someone hacked the spelling bee, the Scripps National Spelling Bee. Come on, leave these people alone. <laughs> like, if you don't know what it is, it's a spelling bee for kids. And uh, basically, you know, it's it's a big deal, but somebody hacked it. I mean, you know, the the bar, ah, uh, the bar couldn't be set lower as far as like why why, you know. But that's an interesting thing for cybersecurity professionals is that, you know, you can work at these companies that uh, have good missions, and you're going to be a target. You can't allow that to just be an excuse for poor cyber hygiene. You have to actually put in cybersecurity measures. You have to fight for some of this stuff in your companies because there's going to be, you know, there's going to be people in your organization that do not want to implement this stuff. But come on, like you got, you got to fight for it. You got to, that's part of the job. And because otherwise you're going to end up in this kind of situation where, you know, you're working for the spelling bee and you get hacked. Right. And especially that, because that deals with like kids and, you know, some of that kind of stuff. It's, it's something that you have to be on top of. Uh, Internet crime costs people more than 6.9 billion in 2021, according to the FBI. So 6.9 billion was more than a $2 billion jump from 2020, according to the FBI's annual crime report. The top three cyber crimes reported last year were phishing scams, non-payment or non-delivery, and personal data breaches. The COVID-19 pandemic definitely played a part in the past two years of cyber crime attribution. So, you know, you, you got to be careful. Cyber crime is still on the rise. It will be on the rise for a long time. But there's also a belief that cybercrime is going to be more prevalent in the cryptocurrency world. So, and I think that's because, you know, like ransomware, obviously they rely on cryptocurrency for payments. And it just naturally brings in a lot of that criminal activity. But um, cryptocurrency is becoming, you know, more of a topic, more of a hot button that people are interested in, people are looking at, even the financial companies are looking at. So, you just you have to be on top of your game if you're in any industry, but especially if you're in the crypto in- industry, you know, you're kind of setting the way that things are right now. So definitely be on top of your game. And then the fastest ransomware encrypts 100,000 files in four minutes. So Splunk did a report. Uh, they did a test, testing all kinds of different ransomware. And basically they came to the idea that Generally, you're going to have about 43 minutes to mitigate ransomware once the encryption begins. So speeds that they tested were for 100,000 files and almost 53 gigabytes of data, so pretty substantial amounts of data. And uh, Lockbit was the fastest with a median of 43 minutes. And the fastest sample that they had was 25,000 files per minute. 
Splunk says that companies need to move left on the Lockheed Martin uh, on the Lockheed Martin cyber kill chain and detect that ransomware earlier than they have been. So again, ransomware is not going anywhere. It's, you know, obviously the source code is getting leaked for random variants, but you have to, you know, you have to look at ways to minimize impact of things like ransomware. So, all right, that is the show for today. Now, hopefully you got a lot out of this. This will help you be prepared for your week. And again, this is a new show that is going on. It will continue. We are on all the major podcasting platforms if you want an audio-only version. But this is really to get you spun up to go into this week and be ready for all the things that happened last week. You're ready for discussions and things like that that will happen in your stand-ups or your meetings to get you going for the rest of the week. I'll see you next week. Thanks for stopping by.